This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. The Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. As the Euros get underway, which red will head furthest into the tournament with Thiago, Jota and Henderson all amongst the contenders? Plus, with Benitez being linked with the Blues, would seeing Rafa manage the Toffees stick with reds? We're here for Friday's Blood Red podcast. We have our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorse, our Blood Red writer, Matt Addison, and with his Euro 2020 wall chart ready and raring to go, David Lynch is also <laughs> here with us. Gentlemen, I hope you're all well. Gorsty, I'll come to you first up and... Finally, the day is here. Euro 2020 is going to be getting underway. It is. Um, and you know what, right? I, I um, haven't... This has kind of like crept up on me, Euro 2020. Um, I haven't really been looking forward to it or even thinking about it. It hasn't really come up on my radar, which is strange, really, because it's a big tournament, isn't it? And, you know, in terms of quality, it's probably greater than, than the World Cup, isn't it? You know, you think of... The amount of quality that Europe has as a continent for football, probably only really maybe Argentina and Brazil are kind of the, the other two heavyweights, aren't they, in, in international football, um, traditionally at least. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't even given it so much as a thought, which might sound strange to a football reporter, but we're so kind of knee-deep in Liverpool content, aren't we, day-to-day, and the, it's kind of just snuck up on me. Um so I, I, I have no idea who's playing who outside of England's group. Um, and I think it's going to be quite refreshing for me to stick on the telly uh, to find out what today's games are and who's playing and um, find out that I might actually be shocked that Belgium are playing or Italy are on the telly or Holland. So in a way, yeah, I'm looking forward to it a little bit, I think. Chance for you, I suppose, to just sit back, have a beer, and, and watch some football. Exactly, yeah. It makes a change from today's a thousand words within half an hour of full, full time. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, no, definitely, and and that's the thing, Lynch, isn't it? Especially the group stage, we've got what ten days, two weeks of just wall to wall football every day. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think I think with it sneaking up on you a little bit, Paul, it's probably more to do with the fact that. I don't know if this is right because, you know, when you're in a season, you can't remember what any past season was like or what the the, the past was like at all, particularly in this current season, which was so condensed. It just feels like the end of the domestic season was closer to the start of the tournament than ever. I think that, yeah. is that right? I don't know. It certainly feels that it way. Feels it, yeah. um, and, and so, yeah, it's, you've not even had the, the big build-up, really. It's just sort of seemed to, to pop up in the end. Like you say, it's it's going to be good because these, these group stages are so full-on and, and that would be great to just... Any time of day, be able to flick on your telly, and there'll be some, you know, top class football on. And and you know, we were, we were talking, weren't we, before? It, it's it, it's nice to see some new players sometimes. And there's always, you know, you get those little storylines that pop up in the tournament about, you know, emerging stars or you know, seventeen year old who takes the tournament by storm and things like that. Maybe even from countries you don't expect. So and and, and shot results as well. So yeah, no, excited for it. Really looking forward to it. It's, it's it's always a better summer, I think, when there's a football tournament on and we don't have to you know, watch too much of the sports. Yeah, no, definitely. Matt, what's your take on it? Because I suppose, as Gorsty says, with the Euros as well, it always feels as though that competition is far more intense. 
Yeah, I think it's just one to, to sit back and, and enjoy. I mean, particularly, you know, a lot of people in this sort of part of the country are not particularly fussed whether England win or not. But I always sort of see it as a way of kind of just being able to, to watch it. There's no pressure on it. You're not particularly bothered what the results are. You can just sort of sit back, enjoy it, learn a few things about some new players, try and get your head around the new format. I know they've changed the, the number of teams in the competition and things like that. I mean, I'm going to have to get myself a, a wall chart, I think, just to be able to work out who's going to get through and who's going to go out because I think it's only eight teams, isn't it, that get knocked out in the group yeah. stage. I think certainly, you know, two <laughs> or three. It's a lot of games, of, isn't it, for that? For, it is. It, it is, yeah. 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 And you wait till the out. new Champions League rules come in, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just just trying to work out, is it better for, for certain teams to finish second? I think it is the case for England that it's better for them to finish second somehow and, and things like that. It just feels a lot more complicated, doesn't it? But I think it, it's quite nice when you've not got a vested interest. It's not like with us, obviously, watching Liverpool in the Champions League and, and things like that. It's very much a case of you want them to win. You're desperate for them to get through for, for a variety of reasons. I think with international football, there's just a little bit less pressure almost to, to sit back and, and watch it and just enjoy it. Whatever happens, happens. And I'm sure there'll, there'll be some good games. I mean, just having a look at the groups. I mean, you look at the group that, that Portugal are in, you look at Germany, France, that's going up on Tuesday. There's already those sorts of games that you're starting to, to take a little bit of a, a look at and, and look forward to, really. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, I suppose it is also one of those, isn't it, Gorsley, where you can, whether it be pick a player or a, a certain national side that you want to follow, be it England or not, and sort of see how they go. And I think we're right in saying Liverpool have, I suppose we say, seven players in Nico Williams and Harry Wilson with Wales, Sheridan Shakiri with Switzerland, Henderson with England, Robertson with Scotland, Thiago Spain, Jota, Portugal. And then I suppose you've even got Kabak with Turkey and Vinaldum, albeit now signed for, for PSG with the Netherlands, that people probably will have a soft spot for. Yeah, I think so. I think particularly with Portugal, obviously, um, we've just written a piece that's gone up on the, the site today, kind of given our um, almost predictions, if you like, you know, what Liverpool players are you looking forward to seeing and who outside of Liverpool are you looking forward to seeing and whatever else. And, and I've noted Jota down for, for the um, for the first one because I just think he's had a, a bit of a breakout season, hasn't he, at Liverpool? He's, he's come from Wolves. It was a big step up for big money. He's proven himself. He's, he's proven that he belongs at a club like Liverpool. 13 goals. And he hasn't always been a regular starter. He's, he's kind of forced his way into that front three, and, and he was injured for three months and so on. So I think I think this tournament it will be a big one for him, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he he kind of plays alongside the likes of Shao Felix and of course Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, it'll be an interesting one for him. Obviously, as you mentioned, Nico Williams, um, you know, big one for him. He's, he's been a Wales international now for. Quite a while, actually, hasn't he? When you think of the fact that he's only twenty, um, Andy Robertson is the the main man for Scotland. You know, leading them into battle with the captain's armband. Thiago, always a, a treat when you get to see him in midfield. So there's enough enough of a Liverpool interest without it being kind of overbearing and, and Liverpool fans being a bit too worried that one of their star men is going to pull up injured because there's not obviously no Salah, Mane, or Firmino, or Allison, or Fabinho. Um, no Trent, obviously Van Dijk's not there, so there's enough of a, enough of a, a nice blend, I'd say, of keeping like fans, you know, interested in. So let's see how Henderson's getting on in England. Let's see how Joss's doing in Portugal. And oh God, there's 25 Liverpool players out in this tournament that are all going to get injured. I think there's a nice balance for this tournament, to be honest. 
Yeah, no, definitely. So it's at your point. Let's, let's look through a, f- a few of them then. Let's start with Diogo Jota and obviously reigning champions, Portugal Lynchy. And I suppose, as, as Gorsty says, with that attack that he's within as well, it's really a chance for him to keep up the levels that he's shown he can reach. Yeah, I watched their game against Israel the other night and it sort of um, reminded me really that they've got a ridiculous squad on the quiet. You know, you hear a lot of talk around Italy, obviously they're on a great unbeaten run and in France, the obvious favourites, and, and even England, but no, no one really seems to be talking about Portugal. They've got an incredible mix of sort of young and old players, in, you know, that experience and then youthful enthusiasm. They've got the tournament know-how from from the last Euros, winning that. Um, you know, they've got quality in defence and experience there as well, and, and the midfield looks really strong as well. So they've literally got it all. And, and, and Jota, it'll be an interesting tournament for him because I watched him against in that Israel game, and he. He only played 45 minutes, not not through a knock or anything like that. I think it was just a case of getting some minutes in his legs and, and just keeping him sharp. But, um, you know, you looked at some of the players who were on the bench bit behind him. It's, you know, the likes of Jao Felix was there and Gonzalo Guedes. Um, there's a couple of others who kind of remember now, but they've also obviously got Bernardo Silva. They've got Ronaldo. So a list of four. Was, oh, Andre Silva was another one who was on yeah, the bench. Yeah. So it's just just incredible list of quality you've got there. And, and you know, Jota's place in the tournament, it, you know, he's in the starting eleven against Israel, which I presume will probably be the starting eleven in their first game. And you just think, you know, if he if he goes on a sort of couple of games without a goal, his, his position suddenly becomes under pressure. They've got they've got so much quality there, so I think he'll be he'll be desperate to sort of get an early goal in the tournament and, and try and sort of cement himself in that starting lineup. It's a yeah, big tournament for him to sort of just prove his point that he is that elite level football that we saw in in flashes at Liverpool. That you know, obviously denied a full season of him because of injury, so. Yeah, I think the fact he's he's fully fit going into it, had a decent end to the season, and he'll just, you know, he want to announce himself, won't he, and say, you know, I really am that footballer that I looked in the first half of the season at Liverpool. I'm a, you know, a world-class footballer, potential Ronaldo successor. Yeah, you, and also sort of in, in tournaments, players and teams might look to grow into them. I don't think he's going to get much chance of that, Matt. The the group that Portugal are in with Germany, France and Hungary as well, he's going to need to hit the ground running, albeit you were on about permutations before. Portugal drew all three of their group games last time and still went on to win the tournament. I don't know how that one works out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a tough group for them, but I think particularly that point is relevant because they play Hungary first. I mean, you look at, at France and Germany, I think if Portugal are get, going to get through and, and possibly top the group, you definitely want to be beating Hungary and, and getting a couple of goals and, and getting yourself into that groove pretty quickly, to be honest. I think Jota certainly could be one of those. I think uh, we, we've spoken to, to people in the past for podcasts we've done and, and kind of he's been picked out in Portugal as one of those players who could one day be the one to take Portugal to the next level. Obviously, they're going to lose Cristiano Ronaldo at some point in the next few years. And you think of Bruno Fernandes, you think of him, one or two others in there as well, Bernardo Silva, you know, even some of the younger players coming through. I mean, it's going to be sort of a case of of splitting that responsibility, I think, once Cristiano Ronaldo moves on. But I think Diogo Jota has already shown at international level and and certainly in his first season at Liverpool that he can step up and, and do that. And he's one of those players that I've kind of got my eye on going into this tournament as you know, we, we, we do sometimes see with these games and these these tournaments that it does help take players like that to the next level. And I think Liverpool can can benefit from that, not just with him, but maybe with one or two other of the players that we're going to discuss. I think, you know, this tournament is a, a real opportunity for them to, to show what they can do on a, a different stage, really, obviously. 
you know, there's sort of pressure on them individually, certainly with Portugal, one of the favourites for the competition going into it. But I think you've got to look at it as, as an opportunity. And I think if, if Diogo Jota can play well against Hungary, maybe get one or two goals, that could really set him up to, to go on and, and push on and hopefully take that confidence into next season for Liverpool as well. Yeah, no, definitely. What about Thiago then? Gorsi, Spain's preparation has been marred by COVID itself and infection mm-hmm. in the in the camp. They've had to call up a load of under-21 players to play in some of their warm-up games. Uh, Luis Enrique, the manager as well, deciding not to name a 26-man squad, but a 23-man squad. But Thiago, we saw that the flashes of brilliance he was showing by the end of the uh, domestic campaign for Liverpool and now looking to maybe take that on for Spain. I think it was, what, five, six, maybe even longer than that, eight years ago, maybe, that he was part of that Spain under-21 side that won a Euros and he was the best player. And now it is those players are, are all in their prime. They are, yeah. I think, was that the, I think that might have been 2011, wasn't it? That's just after Yeah, uh, 20, 2013, I think. Was it that late? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, he, he really was coming into a bit of form towards the end of the season, wasn't he? He was probably one of Liverpool's best players, particularly for maybe the last four or five games that... that um, one at West Brom, the performance there, that was his, arguably his best performance of the season for me. I thought he was superb that day. And, and um, yeah, I mean, he's, um, it took him a little bit of time to get settled in the Liverpool squad. And we know the reasons for that, don't we? We've, we've discussed them in great detail, but he won't have any kind of adaptation worries in the, in the Spain squad, will he? He's, he's been around that for years and years now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him, and I'm quite looking forward to seeing Spain. Actually, I mean, um, you know, when you when you think of Spain, you, you think of Iniesta and Ramos, PK, Xavi, Torres to an extent. All these kind of players who have been, um, you know, icons of the team that won the 2008 Euros, the 2010 World Cup, 2012 Euros. But this is quite a few years on now, and and um, I, I'm not. I'm not too au fait with, with the rest of the, of the Spain squad, even being honest. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they're about because they're all going to be top players, no doubt. Um, obviously, I, I will know a few of them, but um, there, there's something for me anyway. I mean, there's something of a bit of an unknown quantity in a weird way because it's Spain um, and, and they are one of the giants. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. Um, to a lesser extent, Germany. Um, again, you know, you think of, of the players that won the World Cup for them um, in 2010. It was, no, sorry, 2014. You know, that, that team has largely moved on now and, and there's a few more kind of coming through. So I think, uh, I mean, Netherlands are probably the biggest example of that, aren't they, with, with so many of their players. So I think this is um, a tournament to kind of possibly get acquainted with some of the names who are going to be big players across the continent for the next five to ten years. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Breaking off from the Liverpool players just for a moment and talking wider as well, Lynch. It's a chance for people to get acquainted to new players and the rumour mill to fly into overdrive and everyone get excited about, oh, that player that Liverpool should target, that one. When realistically, the, the scouting's probably already been going on behind the uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, but it's a, it's a good opportunity, isn't it, to sort of, you know, clap eyes on some of these players they have been linked with for the first time. You know, for example... You know, I don't, I don't personally watch a lot of Bundesliga, but Florian Neuhaus has been linked again today and, and, and seems a player who would maybe fit Liverpool's bill in. And, you know, it'd be nice to sort of watch him. You know, if, if the Bundesliga is ever on UK telly, it doesn't tend to be munching glad backs. So it's one of those players you would never 
you know, <clears throat> particularly regularly see. So it's just nice to um, to see what they could potentially bring and, you know, see what why there's so much hype about in some of these players. So that, you know, that's one of the benefits of tournament football, isn't it? It's, it's like we said earlier, is is sort of getting to introduce to some new players and some who could be could be some big future stars. So yeah, I think he's one of the ones that maybe stands out as a potential target that, you know, Liverpool fans will probably want to keep an eye on this summer. What do you make of that, Max? I know you've been working on a, a bit of content for the weekend for Blood Red viewers and listeners, and you, you seem to, we seem to constantly be focusing on Bundesliga and Germany. It is going to be a chance to actually, rather than see montages and take other people's words for it, watch these players ourselves. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, we get the expert view, don't we, from Germany on a regular basis, and there seems to be a, a few players in that squad that, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to watching Neuhaus being one of them, if he does indeed get on the pitch. I mean, there's a lot of quality in the centre of that Germany midfield. I don't know whether he'd be a starter or whether he'd be one to come off the bench even for, for Germany. But I think just sort of from what we've seen and, and from what we've heard, Germany have a very good team on paper. There's kind of been a suggestion that they're maybe not quite moulding together and, and meshing as a team in terms of, of the way that they defend, certainly as a collective. So it'd be interesting to see sort of how they come together. But you always kind of fancy Germany to be one of those teams at a tournament where they just find a way. They, they sort of get themselves there. Maybe the, the hype isn't around them, but they just kind of get that job done. And I think you'd still expect them to get through to, to the knockout stages. I think, again, it, it's an opportunity to, to see a few of these players, see what they can do. I'm not quite sure who they would face necessarily if they were to get through. As I say, I'm not quite sure on the, the sort of format of the competition. But I think, again, a few of these teams, there's, there's individuals that are being linked with Liverpool or, or just sort of being linked with, with other clubs. I think there's there's plenty of examples of, uh, if people want them on the Analyzing Anfield podcast this week. That's a, a really good listen to, to sort of go through and, and listen for players that you should be watching out for. And I think Neuhaus is one, but there's plenty of, of others across the, the tournament as well. I think, as I said before, it's it's an opportunity, I think, for these players. Obviously, you know, scouting and, and things like that have all been done before. But I think we could see a few valuations change, as, as we always do in terms of, of the transfer market. And you wonder whether somebody like a, a Harry Wilson or a Shakiri, if they were to have a good tournament, maybe Liverpool could get a bit more money for, for those sorts of players. So, it's one of those opportunities. I think it's it's something that players will look forward to. But I think it's a, a chance to sort of put yourself in the shop window a little bit as well. Yeah, how important, picking up on that point, whether it be Neuhaus or whether it be somebody else, Gorsty, that Liverpool may be already scouting those valuations, being able to change good and bad for Liverpool players going out or coming in. Far cry from, say, maybe 19 years ago when after the 2002 World Cup, Liverpool seemed to trolley dash for both Salif Diaw and... and uh, Juf as well at one time after Senegal had done so well, but uh, yeah. not quite the same these days, is it? No, not at all. Um, Liverpool aren't going to be swayed by anyone's performances in this 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 competition. I mean, if they're looking at someone and and they perform well, great, you know, so be it. If they're looking at someone and they perform poorly, it won't won't change their mind at all. The, the homework, uh, Liverpool's kind of recruitment team now is, is so. Um, so thorough and so kind of extensive that um, a few games in an in a, um, international competition like this aren't really going to change perceptions or, or, you know, minds one way or another. I think what you alluded to there about the values is an interesting point, though, because um, some clubs don't work the same way Liverpool do, so might be more interest in a you know player A if he has a great tournament and that subsequently does bump up value. Um or teams know that um if a player has a good tournament then they can get 
a bit more for him generally. So I think that is the probably the only thing that, that would affect Liverpool's transfer dealing at this stage, whether or not a, a potential target goes and has a blinder across, you know, you normally say the country it's in, don't you? But, you know, just generally across Europe, wherever he's going to be playing in over the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, Liverpool have come a long way since um, El Adjouf um, played well against France and Liverpool paid 12 million for him. Yeah, no, definitely. I can't, can't see things like that happening. But in terms then, back on the Liverpool individuals, Dave, how, how important is this tournament going to be for a number of those individuals, even those on the, the fringes of the, the Liverpool first team? Someone like Jordan Shakiri, so important to Switzerland. We even saw what he did in this tournament, what was it, five years ago, Euro 2016. He was absolutely brilliant for them in, in that tournament. And even the likes of the two guys in the Wales squad, Nico Williams seems to be fairly regular for them, and, and Harry Wilson too. Yeah, I think, you know, with Shakiri is one of those players we, we all sort of assume, don't we, that he's he's gonna leave Liverpool this summer and I, I still think that is the the most likely outcome to be honest. But you know, you, you can't offer, offer any guarantees on terms of outcomes and transfers until those offers come in, until they're reasonable enough as far as Liverpool are concerned, it is you know, they, they need to be moves that the player wants to make as well. You know, ultimately last summer you know, he had a few clubs speaking to his agent, but nothing sort of appealed to him more than maybe staying put at Anfield and fighting for his place. So, you know, in terms of generating that interest and making sure that the next move that comes along this summer is the right one and one that he actually wants to make, I think, you know, having a good tournament is always helpful in that regard. If he, if he plays really well and he's a standout for Switzerland, then he's going to have, you know, a lot of offers coming in because not, not all clubs work in the way that Gorsi suggests Liverpool did there. You know, not all of them are that you know, forward thinking, a lot of them will react to good tournament performances. So I think that, you know, that can really help to generate interest on his behalf. And, and then he probably will make his move away. Um, you know, like you say, the, the lads in the Wales squad, Harry Wilson, again, you know, can that just nudge him into upper Premier League team interest rather than championship this summer? If he, if he has a, a good tournament, Wales gets on and scores a couple of free kicks or whatever. Um, and, and Nico, I think, you know, for him, if he's in that starting eleven, which you would imagine he is, um, just a sort of opportunity for him to to prove a point, really, because it's been a, a quiet season, a more quiet season than he would have hoped for. He would have thought he would have got more opportunities, and I think he would have got more opportunities had that centre half pairing been settled throughout the season. But as as Jurgen Klopp alluded to, he didn't really have the chance to to do any other rotation in the fullbacks because of you know th- there was so much trouble in other parts of the defence, really. So. I think for, for Nico, a, a big opportunity to play some football and, and show how much he's come on and, and how he's developed in a year where he's basically been mostly training and, and show that he's of that level. And, and then hopefully, he will hope that going into next season, he'll, he'll get more opportunities for Liverpool then. Yeah, now Matt, what do you make of, of Harry Wilson? Now you obviously focus an awful lot on the academy. He was a big hope in the academy as well, but maybe not quite kicked on to the level to be of use for Liverpool right at the top end of the, the senior squad. And I mean, if you think going into this tournament, England, there's a lot of chat around a player like, say, Mason Mount. The two of them were at Derby just two years ago. Yet this tournament maybe feels for Harry Wilson. It's a chance to put himself in the shop window and try and elevate himself back towards those levels. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think he's necessarily quite at the level that Liverpool require just yet. But uh, I think there's certainly you know, a decent move in him. There's, there's certainly a Premier League player there. And I think it's a little bit surprising that there's not been a huge amount of transfer links to him. There doesn't seem to be a long line of clubs looking at him. When you look at his record, as you say, obviously in that same team at Derby County as what Mason Mount was. I mean, 
out of the two of them in that particular season, you'd probably say that, that Wilson was probably just the better player. Obviously, he's a couple of years older. You'd expect him to be a little bit more consistent at that time. I think he was 22. Mason Mount was, was about 20 in that season. But, you know, 18 goals in in sort of 40, 44 games, I think it was, in that season is, is a really good return from an attacking midfielder for him. Six assists in there as well. He was their top scorer that season. He's obviously then gone to, to Bournemouth and obviously nearly got the, the move to Burnley last summer. That didn't go through and he ended up on loan in the Championship again. But uh, I just think there's there's a real player in there. And I think this, again, is a huge opportunity. I think, obviously, Mason Mount has, has got a higher ceiling. He's gone on and, and proven that for Chelsea and, and been fantastic in a team that's gone on to win the Champions League. But I think there's still a really, really good solid Premier League player at the very least in Harry Wilson. And I'm sort of surprised there's not been a little bit more interest in him. So I think as much as anybody else on this list for, for Liverpool in terms of those fringe players, I think it's probably a particularly important tournament for him just really to, to serve as a reminder as what he can do. Because you look at his numbers in the academy, I think he scored 31 goals in his final season as a, an under-23s player playing off the right-hand side. He's obviously taken that and, and done that at, at championship level, had a, a pretty decent season for Bournemouth. What was it? Seven or eight Premier League goals that he got for them in the season before last. So there's obviously a player there. He's obviously got those numbers, but he just seems to have dropped a, a little bit off the radar. So uh yeah, I think it's it's an important tournament for him. And if, as Lynchy says, he could maybe get a couple of eye-catching goals in this tournament, it might just sort of reignite that interest from the rest of the Premier League. Because for me, the, there's no doubt about it. He could certainly go into a, a Burnley or an Aston Villa or a Leeds or, or someone like that and, and really make a big difference. What's your take, Gorsty? You said before, obviously, Liverpool aren't going to be swayed in terms of buying anyone who catches the eye. But on a player like Harry Wilson, when you think maybe Mohamed Salah won't be available all of next season, Harry uh, Harvey Elliott, sorry, is a very young player as well coming in. Could he maybe change the, the, the minds of the decision makers at Liverpool? They've tried to give him the last two pre-seasons to catch the eye. It's not quite happened for him. Yeah, that, that, that... I'd, I'd find it difficult to imagine how good Harry Wilson's Euros would have to be for Liverpool to think, yeah, maybe this lad can do a job next season. Um, I think he only only played once last season, didn't he? Um, and that was in a League Cup game against Arsenal. And Your favourite game? Yeah, because, um, <laughs> because Shaqiri had to get dragged out the team because it looked like he was going to be, be off. So, um, you know, if he hadn't made that, I think it, I think it was just the one solitary appearance. If he hadn't made that, you know, when, he, when you're looking at the last time he, he played competitively for Liverpool, um, I can't think of, off the top of my head. Possibly when he, he made his debut way back against Plymouth at the start of 2017. He's someone who um, has got pedigree and he's going to have a career. But um, I think it's probably fanciful that you're thinking that he's going to be able to break into this Liverpool squad on a, on a regular basis at this stage. I think the um, best course of action for everyone concerned now would be for him to get a move that he wants and Liverpool to get the fee that they want. Um, whether that'll happen, we'll have to see. Um, I wouldn't like to see the, the same thing as last season that Matt says where the fee couldn't be agreed and he had to leave on loan. Hoodedly, at the end of the, the transfer window, just so he got out there and played some games. I think a clean break um, is best for him and, and there's a few players in that same boat, I think, this summer. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
Absolutely. Let's uh, let's move on then from the Euros and let's talk about another story in town. And regards Rafa Benitez, Gorsi, I'll come back to you on this one. He's been linked with the the hot seat at Everton. The Echo mm-hmm. uh, Everton colleagues understand that his name is being discussed, albeit talks haven't been opened. This would be a seismic shock, wouldn't it? I don't think it'd be that much of a shock as, as some people think, to be honest. Um, anyone who, who knows Rafa Benitez, not personally, obviously, but anyone knows kind of what he's like as a person, knows that he, he never really um, takes emotion into account too much, does he? He's very um, surgical with with his mood, whether it's tactical or career-wise. I mean, he went to Chelsea um, at a time when Chelsea... Pretty much for public enemy number one for Liverpool fans, weren't he? Um, I think moving to Everton would be a step up in terms of, of the shock factor, but um, I don't think it's it's an outrageous suggestion. He still lives on the Whittle, even when he was Newcastle manager, um, even when he went to China. You know, his family still lived on the Whittle, um, and he loves the area. Um, and managing Everton would mean that he wouldn't have to do any kind of huge long commute and I think to a manager like Rafa Benitez that's probably a um a big part part of his thinking at this stage of his career. You know, his, his kids are still growing up and they don't have to move home and he can stay in the area and he's taking on what is still a pretty big Premier League job. Um now whether it whether it comes off or not we don't know and, and uh, Phil Kirkbride has been reporting that, that he is kind of under consideration to an extent how much that is, we don't know, do we? Let's face it. But uh, I wouldn't be completely stunned if uh, Benitez pitched up at Goodison Park, put it that way. No, and obviously Stephen Gerrard's name, Lynch, he was thrown in there very early on. That would be seismic, wouldn't it? I think a lot of people would be struggling to get their heads around it, maybe even Stephen Gerrard himself. But this one, given the time obviously that's passed since Rafa left, it's over 10 years since he moved on. He has managed in the Premier League twice since, so maybe it wouldn't be the biggest surprise, but he has had some less than complimentary things to say about Everton in the past. Yeah, uh, I mean, that that sort of thing happens all the time as well, though. I think, you know, it's it's happened with players getting old tweets dug up before they've signed, for, you know, they're disparaging tweets about teams that they've ended up joining and, and they've eventually been dug up and things like that, but... As always the case in, in football, if, if the results are right, then no one ultimately will, will care about that stuff. I think this is a, a really sort of interesting managerial appointment for Everton as well, because I think Benitez, to me, makes sense in terms of a continuation of what Ancelotti was trying to do. A very sort of, you know, with Ancelotti sort of goes under the radar at, at Napoli and definitely at Everton as well. It's the style of football he was playing was sort of quite. I don't want to say negative, I want to say, um, you know, quite solid, stodgy, um, you know, prioritising defensive solidity above all else and, and then sort of trying to nick goals, and, and, and which is an absolutely, you know, the right way to play football for certain teams, absolutely sound. And I think, for me, the Benitez links makes a lot more sense than, say, Graham Potter. That, that to me, if you, if you go from Ancelotti to Benitez, they've gone from another name who plays a similar style of football, sort of similar standing in European football, would have been would make a lot more sense than going from Carlo Ancelotti suddenly to, to Graham Potter. That, to me, would suggest that Everton don't have a plan. That Their, their director of football, Marcel Brands, doesn't have a, a, a very clear idea of the squad he's building and the type of football they want to play going forward. Um, so, for me, Benitez would be would be an excellent appointment. He's still, you know, Newcastle fans still adore him for the job he did there. Obviously, Liverpool fans will always love him uh, for, for, for the part he played in, in uh, Liverpool history. So, I, I, I think... 
you know, I think Everton adapted if, if they don't go for him and if they rule him out on an emotional level and then and then get themselves, you know, tied up in a a new project really with, with Potter at the helm, for example, where they, you know, they have to then adapt the squad and, and get rid of all these players and get new players in. They're just, you know, tying the hands behind the back if they do that. So I think, you know, for me, Benitez will be a sensible appointment. I think they, they need to take the emotion out of it and, and go down that route. And, and, and any fans who are sort of stand against that because of his comments about the, you know, small club and, and all those things, I think will be quickly run, run around if he, if he starts to win football matches. Yeah, Angelotti, Gerard's name, as I say, mentioned Rafa's as well. Matt, they could have a little Istanbul reunion, couldn't they? <laughs> they could. I think it's a, it's an interesting one, the, the Rafa Benitez thing. I think it, it does make sense if you take the emotion out of it, but it's very difficult, I think, to, to do that within football. I think if, if he was to go to Everton, I think it would take pretty big task really for, for him to, to get the fans on side to get everybody on board you wonder just quite how long that process would take I mean I know obviously if he wins a few games we kind of saw it with Chelsea that Chelsea fans weren't massively impressed when he went in there but he wins a few games does quite well and and turns the fan base around I, I just think that's a bit of a longer term project in terms of, of doing that than it you know it was at Chelsea if you try and do that at Everton I think that would be a little bit more difficult but I suppose that the big thing for for Everton really is that you look at all of the candidates on that list and there's kind of pros and cons to all of them there's nobody really that stands out as an obvious choice I think you know Graham Potter would probably be the one that I would look at just in terms of of it being a long-term project I know they've kind of been in that kind of direction before they've kind of had every different manager going over the last few years they've gone for for the big name they've gone for the new up-and-coming thing I think Graham Potter would make it a little bit of sense to me, but even him, he comes as a, an unproven manager. He comes as, as someone who would have to, to prove himself to the fans. So I think Rafa Benitez would be a safer option in terms of, of purely the football side of things. But I don't know, I, I'm just not quite convinced that the Everton fans would warm to him. I don't think it would be a problem necessarily with Liverpool, uh, with Liverpool fans, excuse me. But uh, I think with, with Everton fans, I think it would be slightly more difficult for them to get on board with him, I think. Yeah, moving I away think, from whatever. Just coming in. Sorry, just just to come in on the the point on Potter there is. I think in theory, I, I I completely agree with Matt's point in that it's probably easier for Everton fans to buy into him as an idea of okay, we'll play this really attractive brand of football. But then the first time that Everton have fifteen shots on target and, and get beat one nil from a set piece, as has happened regularly to Brighton, Graham Potter. I, I think he's an excellent young manager, by the way. I'm not doing him down. I just think his style of football, that is possible if you don't have the highest quality uh, level of quality maybe in your forward line, you don't take those chances. Uh, the first time that happens, then discussions will start around uh, Roberto Martinez and, and, oh, well, this sort of style of football doesn't work for us. I, I just think that the best thing that Everton can do is, is just have a, a very solid idea about what they want to be and not start, you know, you know, pinging from one idea to the next and, and you know, this manager is going to get us playing football and then the next manager will have us defensively solid and then and what we actually want is to just win football matches and that, that's all any, you know, football fan ultimately wants for all the talk about these high ideals about the style of play you want. Football fans are happy if they're winning football games and I think for Everton with the current squad they've got and the way that Ancelotti's built it and put it together and added his own mix to it, the manager they had before as well is I think they would be ideally suited to a more sort of solid style of football. You know, you've got a big target man up there with real quality in Calvert-Lewin. I just think, you know, keep doing that. Keep, you know, build on that. Get a, you know, get a manager in who can build on that and you'll have fans in next season, hopefully improve their, their home record. I just think, 
just don't flip from one idea to the other because you end up doing what Everton have done ever since Moyes departed, which is just, you know, well, nothing really, you know, really struggling, not not challenging, say, you know, you look at the, the trophies Leicester have won in recent years and, and clubs who are much smaller who have been in cup finals and Everton just needs to stick with an idea for me and then you can really realise that potential because they're one of the biggest clubs in the country. It, it gets disregarded by people outside of Merseyside, but they're, you know, they're far bigger than, than, than say, Leicester or the, the countless other teams who've been in cup finals since Everton have. So I just think, you know, just have an idea and, stick to it for once and, and maybe they'll you know build on it and and maybe you know maybe even threaten Liverpool a little bit because you know it's just been so so difficult for Everton fans I know I know a lot of Liverpoolians probably don't feel sorry for them but I think you know my dad's an Evertonian I think sometimes I just think it's like a test in like how much can a football supporter put up with that, that's what an Evertonian's <laughs> life is at the moment I just um, think just you know it, the, the responsibility is there for Marcel Brands to, to build something you need to do that now yeah, you you spoke with passion on the topic there, Lynchy. I was going to say there must be some blue blood in there somewhere, but uh... Royal Blue need a guest if you want to yeah. go. I was going to say, yeah, blood red Everton expert David Lynch. Yeah, no, that was a, a an impassioned response. Hands across suppose, Stanley Park. I, I, I suppose though, Gorst, it's it's one of those, isn't it? it makes you realise just how Liverpool, how lucky Liverpool are to have a manager like Jurgen Klopp. But final point, just on the the links with Benitez, would it lessen his standing at, at Liverpool at all? He is, of course, one of the European Cup winning managers, but he's gone to mm. Chelsea, potentially then going to Everton. Surely, I know you're saying he maybe doesn't have that emotion within him himself, but surely there comes a point with some fans where it is, come on, you can't keep going to all of the rivals. Yeah, it's a very interesting one, that isn't it? I think I don't don't think there's one kind of uniform stance on that one. I think to some, he'll always be the the manager who brought them home the fifty European Cup in the most incredible yeah. circumstances, and then won an FA Cup a year later to boot, and then gave them probably one of the, the biggest um, title challenges in the Premier League era in two thousand nine um, at the time, anyway. So and for everything against the the ownership as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he's, re- he's revered, isn't he? Um, so I don't know. It's a tough on that. Um, I think there certainly will be a few who will think, "Oh, hey, Rafa, did, did you have to go to them?" But I, I don't think it's going to be one where he's going to be uni- universally suddenly disliked overnight. Very much, no. a, you know, a individual basis. That one, I think. Yeah, it would be strange heading to Goodison and, and seeing Rafa in the opposing dugout. But anyway, that's all we've got time for here on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Of course, we will continue to be here throughout the course of the summer, throughout the course of the Euros as well. Don't forget to sign up to the Blood Red newsletter. The uh, link is in the description of the podcast. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorse, David Lynch and Matt Addison, thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.